From a very young age, I suffered from a sense of insecurity. But on coming to know Jesus, my life changed radically. This once shy and timid youth turned into someone so in love with Jesus, ready to do anything and go anywhere for him. Becoming the leader of a church was something I never thought would happen, but it did. And because of my childlike faith in God, the church grew dramatically and became one of the larger churches in our denomination. I began to be noticed by fellow pastors, and before long, I became a celebrity, getting attention from national leaders in our denomination. Besides being the pastor of a large, growing church, I was now asked to be a part of many different committees, both in the city I lived in and around the country. You know, looking back at it, I realized I not only had a growing church, but I had a growing ego. I quickly forgot that my success was because of my worship of God, my total trust in His handling of my life. I started being away from my family a lot, and uh, they began to be affected. The church I led was beginning to suffer, and above all, I was doing it by myself. I was not hearing from God. This all came to a grinding halt one night. When I arrived home from a meeting, I got a phone call. The secretary of the committee was just calling to tell me uh, the date of the next meeting. But I felt something click in my brain, and I said, I'm not going to be there. When she said, why not, I found myself shaking, sweating, and I said, today was my last day on the committee. Please apologize to everyone and tell them that I'm, I'm resigning. With that, I got off the phone. I got so mad, I kicked the bookcase to pieces. I burst into sobs. I ran into the kitchen, and I crouched in the corner. Inwardly, I said, stop. Stop the world. I want to get off. I was, this was the beginning of a major mental breakdown. Within 24 hours, I was relieved of all my work on all the committees I belonged to. Relieved of my city commitments and the chaplaincy of a hospital where I also served. However... My greatest sadness was I no longer served as the pastor of the church. The elders released me to have a sabbatical for as long as I needed to recuperate. I sobbed for days. However, I knew I should have listened to the whisper of God as he tried to warn me not to go down the path of overworking track I was on. The fault lay only at my own feet. So here I was totally broken, messed up in my mind, feeling a failure, a loser, and a quitter. Good morning. <clears throat> the story that you've um, just listened to is actually my story. It happened back in 1989 um, and was one of the darkest periods of my life. Um, at that time, when I was going through uh, that period of darkness, a, a scripture became so precious to me that it's precious to me even to this day. And uh, I want to help you this morning. Uh, I come with a real burden on my heart that God has brought you here in His purpose and by His will, and that He's going to speak to your life as I share something of my life and, uh, and also share something from this incredible Scripture. It's actually the story of a prophet in the Old Testament named Elijah. And uh, if you have your Bibles, I, I want you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 19, the first book of Kings chapter 19, that's in the Old Testament. Um, the words will come on the screen as I read them in a little while, but before I get there, um, I, I want to tell you a little bit about this guy whose name was Elijah. 
um, because his story became precious to me. And um, Elijah was a man who lived for the glory of God. He was a man that gave himself totally to the will of God for his life. And um, when we meet him in 1 Kings chapter 19, we meet him at an incredible moment in his life. The fact is that he's just had amazing success. And right now he's on the verge of a major breakthrough in the nation of Israel. He has prayed and he has longed for and he has hoped for the nation of Israel to come into a period of revival where they come back to God and they begin to serve God and where it is that now he's, he's seeing um, what he has prayed for for many, many years. He's at the point of breakthrough into something major from God. He has literally saw supernatural fire fall from heaven that came down upon an, an offering that was on an altar that not only now burnt up the offering, but it also burnt up the altar and amazed the people that were around and they could only say, God is in this place. At last, at last, the people were crying out to God. What Elijah had longed for, what he had hoped for, what he had thought he would see soon was now beginning to happen and people were beginning to give their lives back to God. It was a remarkable time in his life. But then we come to this scripture, 1 Kings chapter 19. Let me read from verse 1 and this is what it says. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also, if I don't make your life as the life of one of them that you have killed by this time tomorrow. And when he saw that, he arose and he ran for his life. And he went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. It is enough now, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my father's. That's what he said. You know, so many Bible students are shocked when they see Elijah running for his life. After all, he's seen all this success, and it seems he's on the verge of breakthrough, but now he's running for his life. And many Bible students are shocked by that. After all, he'd seen supernatural things happen, like fire coming from heaven, and like people now running to God, and, and now he's running himself away from God and his will, and not only that, he's running away from a woman, and, and, and people are surprised when they read that and they see that, but I have to tell you, I'm not surprised. You see, for one thing, Jezebel was no ordinary enemy she was no ordinary kind of woman. She was one of the most powerful, evil enemies anyone could have. And when she made this threat to Elijah's life, it was a very real threat. In our terms today, we would say this is a very credible threat on Elijah's life. 
And, and not only that, not only was it a credible threat, it was a timed threat. It, it says, your life will be gone in the next 24 hours. And so now Elijah knows that he's a hunted man and that now his life is threatened by this evil, wicked woman. And now it is he begins to run because he knows he's only got 24 hours to get out of the place. So I, for one, am not surprised that Elijah makes a run for it. And what Elijah does next doesn't surprise me either because I've been there, friends. It says in verse 4 of 1 Kings 19, he journeys into the wilderness. He sits down under a tree and asks that he might die. He's had enough. The fact was that now we witness the moment when incredible darkness comes over the soul of Elijah. He came to the place that I came to in my story, and he felt unbearably, unbearably crushed by all that was happening to him at that moment in time. It was a crushing effect that just came over him, and now he's in this place of running. It's the place for me, friends, where the Bible becomes an incredible book. It's the place where you begin to understand that whatever you face in life, Whatever you go through in life, you will go to the Bible and you will find someone in the Bible who has gone through what you are going through. You will find in the Bible that everything that you could ever face in life, there is someone in the Bible who has gone through it and God has made sure we've got evidence of it in the holy book, the Bible. You see, everything you will ever face in life, this book has a story to tell of someone who has faced it. And as you read this chapter of the Bible, 1 Kings chapter 19, you find a God who wants you to know that you can make a definite comeback from the darkness that seeks to cripple your soul and take you out. God wants you to know that there is a comeback track for you this morning, that wherever you are and whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, whatever it is that is crowding in on you, that God wants you to know that you can make a comeback that his future for you is better than your past, and that he has a destiny for your life. Now you may find, as I have found with this chapter of the Bible, 1 Kings 19, that it will become to you one of your favorite chapters of the Bible, one of the most precious chapters of the Bible. See, Elijah is coming to grips, he's trying to come to grips with the fact that he has lived his life for the glory of God, that it is that he has given himself for God's work. He has poured himself into serving God in whatever capacity the Lord had opened up for him. And he had served with great passion and great commitment. He had a huge vision and a plan that was for the glory of God. He was living for this plan of revival in the, in the nation of Israel. He was living for the plan of seeing the people of God coming back to God and now being the people of God. And he was living his life for this huge vision, this huge plan that he felt God had put on his heart. And, and now it is that he's, he's been waiting and longing for this to happen. But now he's running. All that he has given his life for has not come to pass. And it's not going to happen. And Elijah just falls apart. And he begins to wonder what life is all about. 
He's a wounded and hurt servant of God. He feels totally let down and he feels totally a failure. I, I put it this way, that Elijah was a, a, an honorable, wounded servant of God. He was honorably wounded. But how many know you can be honorably wounded? In other, in other words, you've been wounded in a battle. You've been wounded as you've sought to serve. But how many know the wounds are just as hurtful and just as painful, even though you've been involved in something that's honorably <laughs> And the fact is that he is honorably served. And I want to show you this morning the marks of an honorably wounded servant of God. And, and you find it in the scripture. You see it in verses four, verse 4, 1 Kings 19. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die and said, it's enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. The first thing that I want you to know, the first mark of someone who is honorably wounded as a servant is that Elijah was exhausted. He is exhausted. I've had enough. He was saying, I've taken all that I can take. God, you gave me this work to do, and I gave it my best shot. I gave everything that I've had. And it doesn't seem to be enough. I'm exhausted. I can't do this anymore. I can't carry on and do this any longer. You may be there this morning. Maybe in your work life. Maybe in your family life. It may be in your church life. You just say, I'm done. I'm just done. I, I, I can't do this anymore. It got to the place of total exhaustion. I just can't do this anymore. Then not only that, the next wound that I want you to note in Elijah was that Elijah withdraws. Notice that he not only runs, but he comes to a moment in running where he doesn't want anyone with him and he doesn't even take his faithful servant with him. He, he said, I'm going on by myself, and he left his servant in the place. And, and the man that had served him, loved him, and been at his side, he now says, I, I, I don't even want you with me. I'm going on alone. And he withdraws himself. You know, when I had my breakdown, I just crouched in the corner of my kitchen, and I wept and wept. And then I shut myself away. And I didn't even want around me people who loved me the most. I just wanted to be on my own. I didn't want to face anyone. I didn't want to talk to anyone. I just wanted to be alone. And you've been there, haven't you? And you may be there where it is that you, you are so low, you don't want to be around anyone. You don't want anyone talking to you. You don't want anyone counseling with you. You don't want anyone speaking to you. You just want to be away from everyone. And so now Elijah in his woundedness is not only absolutely exhausted, but now he's withdrawn himself and he's totally alone. But although he's alone, he's restless. And he goes into the wilderness. So, you know, as I read that, it's strange because when I look on my, back on my journey through 1989, I, I look back and it's, I talk of it as my wilderness journey, my wilderness time. And the fact is that he couldn't just sit, he just kept running. And the fact, the fact was 
the, the darkness of soul that often comes over us will cause us to want to run. It will cause us to be unsettled. And I want to give you some solid advice this morning. Uh, if you ever get to this place... If you ever get to this place where the clouds of depression are over you, when it is that you're enveloped in by what is happening, you never want to make a major decision for your life when you're in a time of soul darkness. When you're in those moments of time, you don't make major decisions. Take it from me, you don't make major decisions for your life. Never when you're so down and you're unsettled. It's such an important point to make. So here he is. He's exhausted. He's separated himself from everyone. But he's still restless. Because Elijah, and the next mark of a wounded servant is that Elijah felt wounded and he felt defeated. Defeated. Verse 4 again, he says, he he asked to die. It's important that you notice that he is not suicidal. No, he was saying to God, God, I'm not going to kill myself. But if you want to, you can bring me home to heaven now. I'm ready to come right now. God, God, I'm not going to kill myself. But, but God, you will be doing me a favor if not right now it's my time to come home to be with you. I'm ready to, for you to take me home. He was saying, I've done everything that I could do for you, God. I am defeated, I'm embarrassed, and I want you to just take me home. I set out to do something great for you, and I failed, and now I want you to take me home. He was surrounded by darkness, and I've been there, friends. And I think some of you have been there. I think some of you have said, God, it would be good for me And everyone else, if you just took me home right now, uh, God, I'm not going to kill myself. I'm not going to do anything so stupid as that. But I I want you, God, I want you to take me home and take me out of this. And so he was marked by defeat. But also the most major thing that gripped his life is that Elijah was marked by disappointment. Deep, deep disappointment. Listen, friends, the enemy of our soul as uniquely designed traps for committed Christians that casual Christians know nothing about. Now, let me say that again. You see, those of you who are absolutely committed to the will of God, you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you're living for His glory, it is that you have given yourself to Him and whatever He wants for your life. You're not a casual Christian. You're not a year today, gone tomorrow kind of Christian. You're someone that has given yourself totally to Jesus and his will. You need to know that the devil has uniquely designed traps for committed Christians. And one of those traps, the major trap, is to catch you in this trap of disappointment. For instance, the Christian mother praying over her kids, bringing them up in the fear of God and bringing them up in the ways of God. The Christian father and husband who works hard and seeks to provide for his family. 
The leader, the leader who serves faithfully and seeks to bless other people more than he looks for blessing on his own life, he gives himself to other people. The student who stands alone in school and stands for the truth of Jesus Christ, living a godly life against enormous opposition. The person giving themselves away to the poor and to the broken of society, the lonely and the destitute. Then it turns out for the mother, the kids don't turn out as you expected they would. The husband and the father loses his job, and now life seems to fall apart. The leader is let down, and he feels he's wasted his time and wasted his energy and wasted his gift of, relationship, uh, of leadership. The person giving themselves to the poor and the broken and the destitute, they find themselves abused by the very people they're trying to help and conned by the very people they're trying to help. And in comes the devil with feelings of utter disappointment that just does not seem to have gone the way that you thought it would have gone. And now disappointment grips your heart and your mind. It was Elijah, totally, totally disappointed after years of service. He feels it's been for nothing. You know, I remember when I had my breakdown, a friend, dear friend of mine came to visit me, and uh, he was one that I would let in. <laughs> His name was Keith, and uh, he'd been in my life a long time. And he just came in, and he sat down in my living room, and he just began to weep as I was weeping. <laughs> he never said a word, but as he walked in, I just burst into tears. He burst into tears. And when I got myself together a little bit, I said to him, you know, Keith, I only wanted ever to serve Jesus. And now this happens. And I was gripped by disappointment. And like Elijah, friends, in that moment of time, in those moments of time, I said, God, you can take me home. At least Letty and the family will have the insurance that they'll be okay, but just bring me home. I'm ready for you to bring me home. And there's someone here that has said that to God, haven't you? As you've gone through the period of your darkness, as you've, you've met the opposition and the trials and the difficulties that have come your way, as you have faced your disappointment, you've said to God, you can take me home. I'm not going to take my life, but you can take me home right now. I'm ready to go to heaven right now. I'm so, so disappointed. But the truth is this, friends, you know, that God has not promised that our life or our work here on earth with Him will be, with, be without disappointments. He's never promised that there'd be no pain. He's never promised that there'd be no sorrow. He's never promised that we won't make mistakes. He's never promised that we won't fail somewhere along the line. But you need to know this. God never sees you as a failure. He can only see you as a son or a daughter. That's the only way he can see you. You are never looked on as a failure by God. So here's Elijah, wounded and depressed and surrounded by darkness of soul. And it's where I was in 1989, disappointed, depressed, defeated, exhausted. 
And can I be honest with you this morning in the, 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 the most open vulnerability that I can bring to you? And I have to tell you something, that the clouds of depression and failure and defeated, they're always there. Oh, I, I want to tell you this. I, I'll be less than honest with you if I said, if I told you that I come through that and I've never been bothered again. I want to tell you they're always there. I, I tell you, the threat is always there. And, and how many know, but for the grace and mercy of God, it would just come right over us. You see, the fact is that we're not trusting in our own self. We're trusting in the grace and mercy of God. But it doesn't mean the clouds are not over there threatening us. As long as there's a devil out of hell, there'll be a threat of him invading our lives and trying to drag us into a depressed place. Maybe you this morning, but how many know, some of you are saying it already deep inside, for goodness sake, John, get positive, will you please get positive? (laughs) And I want to get positive because God is at work here, and uh, He wants to give you a comeback from the darkness of soul that you've been in. You see, I want you to see from this scripture that God cares for wounded servants, Oh, that that didn't get you. You didn't get that. Hey, listen. God cares for wounded servants. Oh, listen. The one next to you never got that. Turn to the one next to you and say, God cares for wounded servants. Just tell them, God cares for wounded servants. Oh, yes, friends. I want you to know that it was that he came to Elijah and, and, and the fact was that he, God gives, firstly, a fresh gift of strength. Oh, hallelujah. How, how many know? Oh, yes, friends, I just feel the Spirit of God here this morning. How many know? How many will say, hallelujah, God cares for wounded soul or servants? Hey, come on, lift it up to him. God cares. Say hallelujah. We magnify your name, God. He cares. He cares for wounded servants. He comes to Elijah with a fresh gift of strength. God never leaves his wounded servants abandoned. So God loved Elijah not for the work that he did for him. He loved him because he was him. (laughs) And listen, friends, God doesn't love you because of the work that you do for him. He doesn't love you for the things that you do that you think are good. I want to tell you, God loves you, and there is no, uh, nothing added to it. He doesn't say, I love you if. Uh, he doesn't say, I love you if you will. He says, no, you need to know that I love you for who you are. I just love you because you are someone that I gave my son to die for. You are someone that I love because I love you because I love you. He doesn't love you for any other reason than you are you. See, God loved Elijah. He said, Elijah, you need to know I love you not for the work you do for me, but I love you because you're my child. And friends, he did me too. He loved me because I was his child. And he does you too. He loves us because we are his children this morning. He never leaves us wounded. He never deserts his wounded servants. Elijah might be spent... It is that he's at an end to himself. He feels at his lowest point, but he discovers that he still matters 
to God. And listen, friends, you may be at your lowest point. You may feel no one else loves you, wants you, cares for you, don't care what you're going through. But the truth is here today, you still matter to God. He loves you this morning. There is no one loves you like he loves you. You still matter to God. And verse 5 through 8 tells us that he gives Elijah what he needed the most. You find that he gave him food, rest, and sleep. How many know those are good things? And so he comes to Elijah and he says, I'm going to feed you, I'm going to give you rest, and you can sleep. You know, how many thank God? You know, the psalmist got it right. The psalmist, he wrote the book of some of the psalms, and he said this, God knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. Hallelujah. How many are glad about that this morning? That he remembers who we are. He knows that we are but dust. So what God did, he gave Elijah a 40-day vacation. How about that? Someone was going out first service and they said, we love the 40-day vacation thing. (laughs) And he gave Elijah a 40-day vacation. And he travels and he rests and he sleeps and he eats and he finally makes his way to a place where he hoped for a fresh encounter with God. Oh yeah, friends, if you travel, uh, uh, get a map out and, and, and just look at the travels of, of, uh, of Elijah, you will find that he, he went a long, long way down south of Israel and he went to a place where he was hoping for a fresh encounter with God. I believe that Elijah remembered that the patriarch of old, Moses, met with God at a certain place and had a fresh encounter with God. One day Moses went up the mountain and he says, God, will you show me your glory? He went up a mountain and he said, God, I want a fresh encounter. I want to see your presence. I want to feel your presence. I want to see you, God. And Moses had a fresh encounter with God. And so Elijah makes his way to the very place where Moses had met with God. And and, and when he gets there, he's thinking, if I can get where Moses met with God, maybe I can get a fresh encounter as well. And in, in verses 9 through 14, he came to the Mount of Horeb, which is called the Mountain of God. And it says he got into a cave in the mountain and he lodged there. And then the voice of God powerfully speaks to him. And it comes as a powerful question. The question was this, what are you doing here, Elijah? It it shook him to his very foundations. It, It was such an important question It was a question that came to me about three months into my breakdown, my mental breakdown. I was lying awake at 3 a.m. I was always going through that period of breakdown. I was always scared at 3 a.m. Because people had told me more people die at 3 in the morning than any other time. And so I thought, well, I'm going to be awake. And many mornings I'd get out of bed. 
I tell you why. I've been told most people die in bed as well. You know, so I, I was scared to death. So I, I would get out of bed. But the thing is, I was lying there this one morning at 3 a.m. And I was weeping and weeping and weeping. And it's so, so hard to talk about it. But I, I was weeping and weeping and weeping. And I said, God... I only ever wanted to live for your glory. I only ever wanted to live for your praise. And then suddenly, friend, and don't, don't ask me if it was an audible voice or if it was a, something in my mind. I, I, it came to me like an audible voice. I, I just heard the voice of God speak to me. And God said to me, I must be your only source and your only glory. You see, the fact was that this was my Elijah moment. This was a moment when God spoke deep into my soul. I realized at that moment as I heard God speak, I must be your only source and I must be your only glory. I realized that I'd made my work for God my work for God. I realized at that moment that my work had become my God. And that it was that I was taking God's glory to myself in my ego. I was taking what was only God's and I was taking it to myself. The scripture says, I am God and there will be no other. And my glory I will share with no other. And God said to me, you've been taking what is mine for yourself. I must be your only source. I must be the one that supplies your need. I must be the one that is all and in all in your life. You are nothing without me, John. I am your source and I am your glory. All the glory will go to me. It won't go to you. And I realized at that moment my sin. And I fell out of bed onto my knees and I wept and wept and wept. And confessed my sin to God and begged him to forgive me. What are you doing here, Elijah? And now it's your question. It's God coming to you this morning. It's God coming and talking to you this morning. Now I have to tell you that Elijah never answered the question rightly. In fact, he just went over a speech that he had talked before. He talked again to God and he says, I've worked hard. No one's turning to you. Only a few here live, live for you. And he gives this speech and he finishes it off and he says, only I am left. And, and you feel depression sweeping over his soul again. But God hadn't changed his mind about Elijah or his plan for his life. And although he didn't answer the question rightly, God didn't rebuke him. He didn't beat him up. Didn't condemn him. This is what happened. He called Elijah closer to himself. It says in verse 11 of 1 Kings 19, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. He said, I want you out of the cave and I want you to come and stand before me. And Elijah, he now went and stood before the Lord. And then the scripture says, and the Lord passed by. Oh, I love those words, friends. Oh, the Lord passed by. Hey, listen, 
Hey, listen, friends, the Lord is here today. The Lord is in this room today. He knows all about your disappointment. He knows all about your exhaustion. He knows all about your feelings of failure. He knows all about your feelings of defeat. He is coming close to you this morning. He wants you to have a fresh encounter. He wants you to have a refreshing encounter with Him. He wants you to sense His presence. The Scripture says in James 4, 9, 4 and verse 8, Draw near to God because He's drawing near to you. Elijah was called out of his cave to get close to God. And God's calling you out of your cave this morning. He said, I want you to have a fresh encounter with me in this church this morning. I don't want you leaving this church the same. I want you to leave this church different. He's calling you out of your cave. He's calling you out of your pity party. He's calling you out of your seclusion. He's calling you out of your fear to come close to him. Now, the story is interesting as you read it. It says that he went out and he stood on the side of the mountain, on the rock on the side of the mountain. And the first thing that happens is suddenly there's a tornado-like wind that comes through. Oh, I mean it was a rock-moving wind. It says the rocks moved by the force of the wind. But it says, but God was not in the wind. And then, and then the next thing that happened was that suddenly Moses finds the ground under his feet is beginning to shake. And now an earthquake comes and he's having to hold on to the side of the mountain for dear life. And this earthquake goes through. But the Bible says again, but God was not in the earthquake. And then, and then the last thing that happened was this, or I should say the last but one. <laughs> Suddenly there came a ball of fire rolling in front of him. How many know Elijah was into fire? He remembers all about fire. But this ball of fire comes rolling in front of him. It's a supernatural fire that's now running in front of him. But it says that God was not in the fire. You know, when it says that God wasn't in those elements, I believe that Elijah was unmoved by tornado-like winds and by earthquakes and by fire. He'd seen all that. He knew God could do supernatural stuff. He'd seen all the supernatural stuff that anyone would want to see. But God was not in those elements. He was totally unmoved. He knew God could do those things, but he was unmoved by those things. But suddenly something happens that now absolutely moves Elijah to the core of his being. You read it in verse 12, and it says, He heard the still, small voice of God. And he was moved. You know, at the beginning of my breakdown, and, and the beginning of my breakdown, it, it didn't happen when I hung up the phone when I said, I'm, I'm off that committee, I'm resigning, and I kicked the bookcase to pieces, and I ran into the kitchen and crouched in the corner and said, stop the world, I want to get off. No, the beginning of my breakdown as I analyze it goes way back before then, about eight months before, when I sat in the national conference of Assemblies of God in the UK, 
with hundreds and hundreds of pastors that were there to vote men onto differing committees. And my name was coming up to be on the National Youth Council. It was 1989, friends. I was much younger than what I am right now. <laughs> and so the vote, <coughs> the vote was taken, and I was unanimously told that I had won the vote. And then they announced it. And as they announced that I had won this vote and that I was now on the National Youth Council of Assemblies of God in the UK, I heard God's voice. And God's voice said to me, you're on your own in this, King. And it shook me rigid. I shuddered as I heard the voice of God, you're on your own in this, King. And I didn't have the courage to get up and say, take my name out. I'm not going to do it. I've just heard from God. And, and, but but I, I walked out of that place knowing and shaking on the inside, knowing that God had said, I'm not with you in this. I'm not with you in your plan. I'm not with you doing this. It's all for your glory. And it's all for your ego. And I want to tell you, I stopped hearing the voice of God speak to me. Until that morning at 3 a.m. when I lay in bed crying and I heard the voice of God sweetly come and speak to me and say, I must be your only source and your only glory. You're only to do what I tell you to do. You're only to go where I tell you to go. You're only to do what I tell you to say. And even when you've done it and when you've gone and done it and when you've said what you've said, you don't take any glory to yourself. You say, all glory to my God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And, 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 and in that moment, in that moment of hearing the still, small voice of God, a great refreshing came over my soul. Listen, friends. God wants to speak to your wounded spirit today. He wants to refresh you by his nearness. He wants you to hear his still small voice. He wants to lead you out of the darkness today. He hasn't come here to rebuke you and beat you up. He's not here this morning because he wants to put you down and rub your nose in the dirt. He wants to speak peace and hope into you. He wants to whisper to you, I haven't left you. I haven't finished with you. I am not, it's not over. I'm not done with you. You are my child and I still have a future for you. He wants to come to you this morning. He came to Elijah. He says, Elijah, I still have purpose for your life. We haven't got time to read it this morning, but Verses 15 through 18, God now unfolds to him future vision and direction for his life. For me, friends, God spoke to me and he refreshed me. It took me six months to come through all that stuff. But then he began speaking to me and speaking to me until we come to 1993. And he says, John, I want you to pack up your family. 
I want you to pull up roots and I want you to go and serve me in America. And on August the 25th, 1993, we touched down in America and the will of God has not been easy, but it's been sweet, friends, to know the presence of God here. Now, I don't know whether you know this, but Elijah died, I should say, Elijah never died. Let me say that again. Elijah never died. He was caught up in a fiery chariot. To use a, a religious term and a theological term, he was raptured. In other words, he, was, he never died. He was caught up and taken to heaven in a fiery chariot. I want to read you a verse from the New Testament. And it's a verse that you'll recognize. It's a verse telling us of Jesus going up a mountain. And he takes with him three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. And listen to what happens. It says in Matthew 17, verse 1. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. Let me just tell you what the word transfigured means. He began to glow. It was that his face shone. And he'll go on to tell us, he began to glow. I believe that he looked like he's going to look in eternity. And so it was, it says, that he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. And behold... Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. So here is Jesus transfigured. In other words, they saw him as he would be in heaven, glowing in a, in a wonderful scene of his glory. But look who's there. It's old Elijah. Elijah's there with them right there on the mountain. Isn't that amazing? Depressed, exhausted Disappointed, defeated, running, wounded, Elijah is on a mountain with Moses and Jesus. Huh. I, I, I've got something to tell you. I want you to come close for this. I want you to lean forward and listen to this because this is going to help you the rest of your life. It will help you through everything you'll ever have to go through. It will help you face whatever you're having to face, what trial and difficulty and problem. And it's this, friends. I want you to know that, that, that there's something that you really have got to get deep into your soul. In the middle of my depression and, and my breakdown, I had a visit from my mentor. His name is John Phillips. He's now 96 years of age and still alive and still serving Jesus. And John Phillips came to me in the midst of this breakdown. He traveled miles to see me. And he, he leaned across a coffee table in a restaurant, in a, in a coffee shop. And he said to me, listen, John, this life has more to do with the next life than it has to do with this life. All right, now I want you to get that. This life has more to do with the next life than it has to do with this life. In other words, friends, God's preparing us for eternity. Oh, yes, see, listen, listen. You, if you know Jesus as your Savior, 
You are not only still human, we're still human. At least some of you look human. But we're still human beings. But more than that, we are eternal beings. Hey friends, listen, I'm not waiting to get eternal life. I've got eternal life. We are eternal beings. And, and, and you know, our life on earth is soon going to be over for some of us. It's going to be sooner rather than later. But the fact is this, friends. Eternity. Eternity is the forever and 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 forever. Time without end. And God says, I'm using everything that's happening in this life to prepare you for what's coming in the next life. I'm using everything. I'm seeing the way that you are committed here. I'm seeing the way that you're devoted here. I'm seeing the way that you serve me here. But you're my child and you need to know that whatever you do here has nothing to do with the fact that you're going to get to heaven. But friends, listen to this. I don't believe that we're going to be sitting around on clouds playing harps for eternity. I believe that eternity is going to be a continual unfolding of the grace and the mercy of God. And he's saying, I'm getting you ready for that. Everything you go through down here is getting you ready for what's going to happen up there. I'm preparing you for eternity. And you may not understand it and you may not like it at times. But what I'm allowing you to go through, what I am bringing you through is getting you ready for eternity because what happens to you down here has more to do with eternity than it has to what's happening down here. And God's working in your life. Now let's hear God's voice calling us close here this morning. We're going to go back into worship and I, I want you to come near to God. I want you to come with your disappointments. I want you to come with your feelings of failure. I want you to come with your exhaustion. I want you to come with your attempts to hide in your cave. I want you to come to this altar. And I want you to come and worship God and pour it all out to Him here. I believe, I believe that God wants to light up your darkness. The cloud of darkness has been crippling. The cloud of darkness has caused you to shut yourself away. The cloud of darkness has caused you to say, I can't go on another step. But God says, I want to light up your darkness. And you see these pieces of wood here this morning. And I trust, I trust with all my heart that you don't think that I'm going to go Catholic on you this morning. But this is what I want you to do. We're going to have candles at the front here. I want you to come and say, I've got to come out of this darkness, God, and I'm, I'm trusting you to light up my way out of the darkness. And I want you to come this morning and light a candle, put it into one of the holes that's in the woods here. My wife has been absolutely concerned that we're not going to burn the house down here this morning, but there's a place for every candle. And I want you to say, God, from today, from today, I want you to refresh me by a fresh encounter with yourself. God, I'm coming to this altar and I'm going to worship you. You see, friends, the best way out of depression is to worship God. 
The best way out of depression is to say, I'm not going to be held by this any longer. I'm going to worship you and trust you to bring me out of this. And I want you to light a candle. And then I want you to stay at this altar and allow God time to speak into your life. Now listen, we don't finish here at Riverside until 12.30. It's 11 minutes past right now. We're going to use up every minute in worship. Don't you leave. We have, we have cameras at the door of everyone who leaves early, all right? You'll get a phone call in the week if you leave early. But listen, as a sign that you're ready for God to lead you out of your personal darkness, your husband may not know that you've been in it, that inside you're just feeling so lost and empty and lonely and dark. Your wife may know nothing about it. Your kids won't. But today, you've got to get honest. You're going to say, God, if I'm going to get out of this, I can only do it with your help. And God, I confess my sin of not trusting you enough. And God, I'm trusting you to light up my future. When God speaks to you, He won't beat you up. He won't rub your nose in the dirt. You will hear encouraging words come into your spirit. As God tells you this morning, you're not done with. You're about to make a comeback. A comeback. I've asked the worship team to lead us in some songs of worship here right now to help you as you come back to God and as you allow Him to now flood over your spirit in a fresh encounter. Don't be so proud that you sit down when you know you you need to be at the front. In fact, you should be moving forward right now. You should be on your way to get a candle and to light a candle. And you can come right now and just place your candle in the front here and stay here and worship God. Now remember, there may be people behind you. Make sure you allow them to get in as well. But let's worship the Lord together.